when I wake up in the morning, I don't think like another day in the life of a Latina. <laughs> Let's do Latina thing. You know, you just wake up and you're like a human and you're trying to go about your day. From Politico, this is Women Rule, where we bring you real talk with women bosses. I'm Anna Palmer, senior Washington correspondent and co-author of the Politico Playbook. That's Gloria Calderon-Colette. She's the co-showrunner of Netflix's comedy series, One Day at a Time. And this is Justina Machado, the star of the show. She plays a single mother who, in addition to working as a nurse, is an army veteran with post-traumatic stress, depression, and anxiety. Her teenage daughter is an out lesbian, her son has been bullied by racists, and her mother, a Cuban immigrant, played by Rita Moreno, lives with them in a small apartment in Los Angeles. You know, we get this question a lot, like, what does it have to do with me? Why should I watch it? And I'm saying personally, my I grew up watching white people and I identified with them and I didn't have anything in common with growing pains. I sat down with the two of them to record a special bonus episode of Women Rule for International Women's Day. One Day at a Time is one of the few TV shows in Hollywood that's both led by a woman of color and stars women of color. On screen, it wrestles with some big, important topics, from social class and immigration to mental health and sexual harassment. It does so through the lens of a multi-generational family of strong women, and while still being really funny. There are strong women behind the camera, too. And that means the show works differently than your typical male-dominated TV series. Day one of our show, we sit down with our staff and we say, hey, listen, if you have something, your kid has a something at their school, you get to go to that. And for those of you who have chosen not to have children, but your dog or your mom or your best friend is the most important person in the world to you, they have something, you get to go to that. All of you get to live your lives. And we're going to try very hard to get out of here so that you can have dinner and have a full life outside of this. The moment you say that to anybody, they will kill for you. And now, here's my conversation with Gloria Calderon-Kellett and Justina Machado. Gloria, Justina, thank you so much for joining us. We are Politico, so we're going to start off with a question that touches on politics. When you rebooted One Day at a Time, the country was in a pretty different place. Donald Trump was not president. Immigration was a hot issue, but it wasn't the wall and the rancor that we see today. Uh, On the show, which for listeners who maybe don't know, it centers around a multi-generational Cuban-American family that's led by a single mother. You've addressed a lot of these topics pretty much head on. But I wanted to ask, how do you think the show has changed because of who is in the White House? Well, we've had to deal with issues that we didn't think we would have to deal with, like uh, racism's back, guys. Guess <laughs> it what? It never went away. It just was, it just <laughs> was right. hidden very, that never went away. You yeah, know, now there's permission right. for them, for the people that feel that way to act that way and to be so bold about it. Yes. So unfortunately, with our community, uh, the Latinx community has been very under attack by the administration and by supporters of the administration. And so we really feel it's more important than ever to correct the narrative, the incomplete narrative that's out there about Latinx folk, really. So it's giving you a lot of material to work with. It sure is. It has. (laughs) But you know, some of the things that we talk about and we say this, they were always important in the Latinx family, always important, immigration, you know, equality, mental health, you know, not dealing with it. But yes, Donald Trump being in the White House has just skyrocketed us to another level, I think, you know, because it's an incredible show. But now we're actually 
a political show at the same time. Yeah, we don't really. It's so funny because people are always like, oh, you deal with an issue a week. And we don't really see it that way. We see it as these are things that Latinx people are talking about in their homes. It just so happens that right now we're being very politicized. But these were always things we cared about. We just want our kids to be able to go to school safely and not deal with racism. We want them to be able to have access Mm -hmm. to health care. We want them to be able to go to work or strive to be better citizens without uh, hearing negative things about themselves constantly. Yes. So these are things we've always cared about. It's just now we have to talk about it a little bit more. Gloria, there are so few shows on TV or streaming platforms that are led by women let alone women of color. Uh, Do you sometimes feel that puts you in a weird spot or that there's an expectation that not only does your work have to be good, but that you must speak for others who aren't traditionally heard from? I do. I mean, listen, I think first and foremost, it's about female, being female, right? I think I identify most as woman. When I wake up in the morning, I don't think like, another day in the life of a Latina. (laughs) Let's do Latina thing. You know, you just wake up and you're like a human and you're trying to go about your day. And mostly I see myself as female. Mm -hmm. So walking through the world as a mother, as a friend, as a caretaker, as a daughter, as a wife, those are things that I've been talking about and dealing with in Hollywood since the beginning. There's inequality in Hollywood. There's not equity. So for me, that's why I'm one of the, I'm on the advisory board of 5050 by 2020, which is, you know, an intersectional uh, group of people that have come together to try to make sure that the landscape is more even and equitable for women. Because when you make it equitable for women, the entire workplace thrives and the storytelling comes from an actual authentic space. So, and often I find that women that I meet do hire minorities because they have themselves are a minority mm-hmm. and they have seen how excellent, how it can really bring about excellence. So I definitely, I mean, I have no, I have no choice. It is what it is, but, um, I feel like I need to do well in order to serve both women and people of color so that if I'm a success, then people will say, Hey, it worked. Maybe we'll give more people another shot. Right. Kind of break through that ceiling a little bit. That's mm-hmm. correct. I feel like there are probably some people who hear about this show centering on a working Latina single mom who's also a veteran with PTSD, whose teenage daughter is a lesbian, whose son has been harassed by racists for being Latino, whose mom is a Cuban immigrant. There are undoubtedly people who hear all that and think, this show isn't for me, right? It's not meant for me. But I wonder if rooting the show in such a realistic lived experience, is that something that by being so specific, it actually becomes more universal. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, it actually becomes more universal because specificity and authenticity is appreciated by anyone and everyone. So like I always say, my big fat Greek wedding, right? Remember the Windex? Everybody can relate to the Windex. <laughs> Ours is Vicks Vapor Rub. <laughs> Theirs is Windex. And, you know, we get this question a lot, like, what does it have to do with me? Why should I watch it? And I'm saying personally, my I grew up watching white people and I identified with them. And I didn't have anything in common with Growing Pains. I had nothing in common with, uh, with Kirk Cameron, whatever that show was. That was Growing Pains. Family Ties. Oh, Family Ties. Family Ties. I didn't have anything in common with those people. But yet they were telling universal stories about family, about love, about all of these things. Mm-hmm. That is also our show. Our show also is a working class family. And one of the things that kind of irks me, and I'm happy for their, for the success of the Connors, but they are not the only working class family on television. We are also a working class family. So it's just people have to just open themselves up a little bit more and understand that we're more alike than we're different. Well, I want to ask, Justina, you've worked on a number of shows over the course of your career. ER, Jane the Virgin. I think most people probably know you from, I did certainly, Six Feet Under. Yes. 
Uh, how would you say the experience of working on a show is different maybe when it's led by a woman or when the part is written by a woman? Oh, my God. <laughs> wow. <laughs> First, I have to tell you that I loved working on Six Feet Under. I mean, I loved those other shows, too. And I, Alan Ball and Alan Poo were incredible. But there's such a difference working with uh, Gloria. It is so collaborative. I mean, really, I, all of us, we all have a say in it, not just me, not, but every single one of us can speak, can say, listen, I didn't really, uh, that doesn't ring true or this bothers me. How can we work through this? It's a collaboration and no one, no one is ego is involved, you know, okay. and I'm not labeled a difficult woman by another, you know, the other woman just thinks I'm as smart as she is as opposed to who does she think she is. So it's night and day. But I, I, but I want to say that I've had a good experience with a lot of people. Some people, not so much. <laughs> but, uh, but definitely, this is the best experience I've ever had. Well, I want to talk about, just dive into that a little bit deeper, because I imagine it's doubly true in terms of roles for Latina women, that there are so many stereotypical roles available. Those oh, things, boy. you know, like stereotypical <laughs> gang member or the sad, struggling single mother. Oh my God, I've played that so many times. <laughs> <laughs> the so I can cry in a, 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 yeah, a dime. She's good. She's good. <laughs> I mean, in terms of that, were there roles that you actively sought to avoid? Oh yes, I have always. Even when I didn't have any money, even when I didn't, you know, I don't, I don't come from anything. I don't have any. I didn't have any money growing up. I've been broke. I don't want to be broke again. I've been broke. You know. Yeah. So integrity was always important to me. I never took anything that didn't have some sort of story. I'm not saying I didn't play a girl that was from the streets, that, but there was always a story. There was a background. She was a person. I would even play a maid if it were somebody that really had something to say. But yes, I've, I avoided maids. I avoided all of those things because most of the time they didn't have anything to say. And the tides always change. If you've been in Hollywood, you know it's up and down. It goes around. Some people that are hot are not there anymore. You don't have to worry about a lot of things. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I absolutely, I, I, uh, I picked and choose I, I, I abs- throughout my whole career, no matter what, no matter where I was in my career. Gloria, I imagine the same is probably similar for you in terms of being in writers' rooms and reading depictions of women and of the Latino culture that are just probably way off from people that don't have any sense of, you know, what normalcy is, what a normal day in the life is. Uh, Are there certain types of stories or characters that you made a conscious effort not to include in your projects? Uh, Yes. I mean, look, I also work in comedy. So in comedy, you're not finding the hilarious gangbanger. So because I was in comedy, that would be new. (laughs) That might be good. Listen, that might be good. Maybe I came up here. I just wanted to be on the record. Can I just come up with a pilot, you guys? No, uh, I mean, working in the comedy space, what I would find more interesting was that, like, for example, How I Met Your Mother, we're in New York City. And I was like, he's not dating one Puerto Rican? Hello. You guys, what are we talking about here? (laughs) You know, there's a lot of blondes in this bar and that's fine, but come on. So, uh, you know, we, it was more that. It was more trying to think in terms of how do I, how am I on this predominantly white show, but how can I infuse my culture and my experience into it? And I've worked in places where I've been very, very supported by men and, and some places where I was not so much, where they were very misogynistic rooms and I'd have to be pitching on the maid who wanted to get a boob job. Uh, that was a real episode of a TV show I worked on. <laughs> So it was it was great to be there and it was great as time went on and I started to gain confidence. When you're the only woman in a, in a room full of very educated, smart, funny men and you're the minority and the and the woman, it's tricky. 
and so I really felt like if I just keep my nose to the grindstone and keep working, I'll be able to be a boss one day and that's when things will change. So I really had my eye on the prize early on. Let's take a step back, kind of speaking to that. There's a study done of all the TV shows during the 2017-2018 season. And it found that of all the key decision-making behind-the-scenes roles in the industry, women occupy just 27% of those. And that that's actually down. So we're all talking about the women's movement and, and how far we're advancing. But when you look at the numbers, it's down one percentage point from a year earlier. At a time, you know, when women are making such strides, why do you think Hollywood seems to still be lagging behind in giving decision-making opportunities to women? Gosh. That is such a loaded question that I don't I don't know. I don't understand what it is because we're so I think we're Hollywood is pretty woke, you know what I mean, if we want to use that word. But it but then it's still kind of archaic in in like a lot of things. You I think know? it's still old school and I think it's because a boys, it's still a, bo- it's still a boys, boys club. club and it's still the very, very, very tippy top mm-hmm. is still very yeah. male. And so in order for things to change, and look, things like us talking about this, getting the word out about female-led shows, because I've worked with now, been on panels with many female showrunners, and we all talk about how we run a room very differently. Yes. You know, my Mm -hmm. day one of our show, we sit down with our staff and we say, hey, listen, if you have something, your kid has a something at their school, you get to go to that. And for those of you who have chosen not to have children, but your dog or your mom or your best friend is the most important person in the world to you, they have something, you get to go to that. All of you get to live your lives. And we're going to try very hard to get out of here so that you can have dinner and have a full life outside of this. The moment you say that to anybody, they will kill for you. Yeah. Because that's not the experience I've had. I've been on shows where we're there till two or three in the morning watching YouTube videos and you want to slit your wrists. <laughs> so you're like, this is Hollywood. Here I am in Hollywood and I'm suffering to the, a guy who doesn't want to go home because he doesn't like his wife and kids. Yeah. Right. And he wants to hold me hostage here <laughs> while he's telling dick jokes. Okay. <laughs> uh, so it really does. I feel like the more I would be in rooms where there would be half women or more and more women, the more that type of misogynistic behavior ended. It would just start to end. In some ways, it reminds me so much of politics, right? You're at a moment where you have more women who are running than ever before for president, right? But really, the power is often in money. And the money is often still controlled by the men. And so we make strides, but, you know, there isn't that. And it's kind of this chicken and egg situation, too, where you it's hard to get in the room. It's hard to lead the room unless you have the experience. We can't get the experience or the fundraising. You know, it's it seems like this push pull that everybody is kind of dealing with. And I think also what you're talking about in terms of this women's movement, what where I do see a difference is that the entry level is opening up more. So I do see like staff writers, a lot more female staff writers, a lot more women at mid-level positions who in a few years will be showrunners, right? Right. So that's exciting. I think that change is coming. We're laying, we're kind of, you know, putting the seeds in the ground right now and we need to water that so that it can grow. But I think in a few years that will change. Yeah. I mean, they've been held accountable. Right. And that's the thing. It's like if we didn't hold them accountable, if we don't continue to hold them accountable, it'll just slip right back. So, yeah, that's why that's where social media is amazing because you can't hide. Well, it gives everybody a voice in a way that you never had. Right. That's right. Uh, One of the things talking about is uh, so important to have women in these roles. But we often talk on this show, too, about how it's important to have men as allies. Oh, yeah. And Norman Lear, TV Mm -hmm. legend. 
produced All in the Family, The Jeffersons, Maud, like the list goes on. I feel like my childhood, you know, reruns are going through my head. He was the producer of the original One Day at a Time back in the 70s, and he's a producer on your show too. How important was it to have a strong male ally when making the show? Well, when bringing up Norman, you also have to bring up Mike Royce, who came on before I did. So Norman and Mike had already come on board to reboot the show, and they sat down with our other producer, Brent Miller, and they were like, oh, we're three white guys. This is not, this is this doesn't look good. <laughs> Thank God they, because you know, in other places, they like, other places, they'd be like, we got it, let's make some taco jokes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're a thousand percent right. <laughs> so... It's uh, it, it really speaks to all three of those men realizing, okay, there needs to be a woman here and a woman of color here. And that's where I came in. And since walking in that door, those men, both of them, Mike, especially because Mike is my day to day, they have lifted me up. And at first people would say, what do we do? And they'd look to Mike and Norman and then they'd point to me. Mm-hmm. And now they don't. Now everyone just asks me. And so it's fantastic, but it really did require these two men to be incredible supporters, incredible allies, and yeah, they're vital. Good allies are vital. Yes. Did Norman give you any piece of advice? You know, he just really, I think he just uh, wants you to tell the truth. You know, he's very interested in the human experience. He talks a lot in his book. If you guys haven't read it, you should. It's wonderful. He talks about riding home on the subway, and it would be an above-ground train, and he would... go by and see all these windows with these families of different colors and different backgrounds and different shapes and sizes. And he was so curious as to what was happening in there because from where he was sitting, they were all kind of doing the same thing. And it really spoke to this common humanity that he is fascinated by. He is a storyteller and curious about humanity and curious about people and wants to talk about how much more like than yeah. different we are. He's very supportive. More than anything, he's just 100% support yeah. and l- loves Gloria, loves Mike, loves the cast. And we'll say, these. he said it the other day, these are two of the best writers I've ever worked with. So that's that's a big that's deal. High praise. <laughs> I take, that's gonna, I that's gonna go on my grave. That's a big deal. It's going on my grave. It, that yeah, you sh- it should, seriously. <laughs> Has there, I mean, when you talk about all the issues, right, that you're 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 dealing with the kind of the pantheon of things that people don't like to talk about mm-hmm. that make people uncomfortable. Is there any sense, like, has there ever been like the third rail? Like, Oh, it's too hot to handle. I don't think so. so. And maybe we haven't thought about it yet. <laughs> <laughs> maybe we haven't thought of something yeah, yet, maybe but, we but, um, no, I, uh, it's no. more, how do we talk? Like I'm yeah. a person, I talk ad nauseum. I like to talk about everything in my household. That's who I was my whole life. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm very grateful to have been in a family that allowed me to be mm-hmm. exactly who I was and ask those difficult questions. So I, I quite enjoy delving into a difficult subject and figuring out how I can talk about it. And the room is incredible. Look, our writers, Mike and I take a lot of credit. We have an incredible group of writers, half Latinx, half female, and three queer writers who who really help us navigate through and teach us every day about their experience. How do we mold it into the show? How do we, how do we tell these stories in a way that it doesn't feel like an after school special, but yeah. it feels like a conversation <laughs> of, I used to love after school specials. I did too. I did too. <laughs> I know that you just rebel. brought me I back. That. Do you remember, remember the one where Tom Hanks it. played Elise Keaton's brother who was drinking the vanilla syrup because he was, the vanilla extract because he was an alcoholic? No. Oh my God, it was so good. Uh, Tom I, Hanks. I did an after school special. I was an abused uh, teenager from her boyfriend. 
Oh man, <laughs> dang! You know it's classic ah, after school. Get pull the tape later. <laughs> Hardcore. Um, well, I want to talk. We're 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 just about out of time, but I two things I want to talk about. One, you talked a little bit about fifty fifty by twenty twenty and the initiative, what you're focused on there. Um, but I want you to just kind of zoom out a little bit. What's the goal? What, where are you going with that? What's next? Do you think in terms of really pushing Hollywood? Well, I think I mean, look, obviously there's a a misogynistic issue in Hollywood. We know it well. I think it's really about inviting men, inviting men and really people with power and privilege to ask themselves how they can use their power and privilege to lift up other people. You know, so my privilege uh, is that I am a cis woman, so I can stand up, stand up for trans mm-hmm. women, right? Or trans people. Right. Uh, so what... As a human, what can you do in your own life? How can you use your power and privilege? That's really where that echoes out. We invite men, people with privilege, to think about ways that they can do that. So tell me, you are here talking about not just in Hollywood, but you're in Washington. Yes. Uh, what is your? Is this your first time coming to the ta- to the town to do this no, kind of lobbying experience? I here once. I did a performance at uh, the Kennedy Center and the Smithsonian. I did a. Uh, uh, Luis Alfaro's play, Black oh, Butterfly, yeah. but literally two, di- two, two days. I sound like New Jersey. <laughs> two days. <laughs> but, but, I, but I love this city. I, I think it's so beautiful, so much history. I wish we had more time to see all the wonderful I things know. and all the memorials. That's true. But what, what's the goal for your trip this time? We really want to open a dialogue with different organizations that are in line with the things that we care about, which are Latinx issues, LGBTQ issues, female issues. Uh, Latino issues. Have I, have I covered it? Mental health issues. Uh, that's the stuff that this family deals with. And we, we want to find a way to be responsible in our storytelling and hopefully have guides, uh, to guide us as we continue these hard conversations. So we've talked a lot about what your aims are for the show, how you're trying to change Hollywood, but I want to end when you're looking back on this 20 years from now, (laughs) Hopefully we're all, you know, looking as good as we look today. <laughs> yes. Uh, what sort of legacy do you hope this show has? Right now, whenever we're somewhere, people come up to Norman and talk about the importance of his shows during the 70s and what it meant to them. And that is ultimately what we hope. Like, yeah. I hope people can say, your show made my life better. Yeah. Your show made me see myself in a way I didn't know I, I could be seen. And I hope that those communities feel like we have lifted them up and feel like their life was better as a result. Absolutely. Listen, I have people coming up to me 20 years later after Six Feet Under. Twenty. So, so I think, I have to say, I think this show already has a legacy. Cause, and, and I think that it's, it's television history. I really do. And I hope that we continue, I hope we get an opportunity to continue to tell these stories and everything that Gloria just said. <laughs> I love it. Well, we'll leave it there. Thank you both so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Women Rule is produced by Zach Stanton. Our booker is Jessica Andrews. Dave Shaw is the executive producer of Politico Audio. The show is made in partnership with our founding partners, Google and the Tory Burch Foundation. If you're a fan of the show, please subscribe to Women Rule on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Rate us and leave a review. And please share our episodes on social media. And follow me on Twitter and Instagram at apalmerdc. You can also join the Women Rule community by texting WOMEN to 66866. 